Cool. So we're looking at uh, this, uh, this holiday series uh, at surprise visits. Uh, you know, almost, well, I mean, I, I, was, I was spending a little bit of time in, uh, with, a, with a friend uh, recently, a guy named Dale, who uh, he just has a wonderful way of, of sort of, you know, I mean, he's, he's got his own needs, but he's one of the people that kind of uh, just out of the blue took a moment to pastor uh, me and and he was sort of asking me a whole bunch of questions questions that it's really good for somebody outside of a church to ask a pastor uh, he was saying uh, asking questions like uh, do you sleep well at night do you feel like you're adequately resourced to carry out your responsibilities what do you wish your church understood about you what do you wish your board understood about you how could you change anything about your job what would that be how often do you really take a day off? All of that kind of thing. But the big question that he really asked me that has stuck with me past that encounter uh, was, was just this. If you could change anything about your church atmosphere, about your congregation, about your life, what would it be? What would it be? If I could change anything about OVV, what would it be? What would be the one thing that I would just make happen for everybody across the board if I had the power to make anything happen like that across the board, which I clearly don't. Uh, but what would it be? And, and the answer really was, and, and it just echoed through my heart just, just immediately when he asked the question, is I, I wish I could let every single person in this community have fresh and new, a radical encounter with the presence of God. A radical encounter with the presence of God. As Christians, we believe that uh, faith is not uh, sort of a religious thing. What we do here isn't a religious observance. We're not taking ourselves and making some sacrifice to come here before God. And if we do this enough times and do it the right way and sing the right notes and pray the right prayers, maybe God will like us more, right? That's, that's what religion is all about. And we, that's not who we are. That's not what we believe. We believe that uh, our faith is an authentic interaction with God. And all of us uh, who believe that have kind of a flow of interaction with God, of prayer, of sensing his comfort, of sensing his joy, of his being near us. Uh, the reason we're Christians and, and what we really believe is that all that religious trappings uh, aside, it, at its core, it's a relational thing. Right at its core, it's a, it's a relationship between, uh, between people and God. But for so many of us, and particularly in this busy time, and in particular in this worried world, and, and as we approach this time of Christmas, uh, this idea of relationship is often eclipsed by just doing stuff. Right? It's eclipsed by just doing stuff that we need to do. And we, we miss uh, the moments of intimacy. We miss the moments of of interaction. We miss the moments of, of connection. Uh, and this is what uh, we saw in, in the scriptures in this time when the Christmas story starts. Uh, and it really starts with an angelic visitation to a man named Zechariah. Uh, the, the culture had been just going about its business for about 400 years. Going about its religious business for about 400 years. Uh, the last time we have evidence of a prophetic voice speaking to the nation of Israel was some 400 years, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, and then they had 400 years of just doing their stuff. Just doing their stuff, doing the stuff that a religious society does, uh, going to the temple, making sacrifices, doing all of that. But somehow, in the middle of that, 
moment, in the middle of that 400 years, God broke in and did relationship. And that's what I long for, for, for all of us, is that uh, more and more that this would be a, a relational encounter. Uh, Louis uh, Paolo said this, he said, one encounter with Jesus Christ is enough to change you instantly, forever. One encounter with Jesus Christ is enough to change you instantly, forever. That's what Jeremy experienced a couple of weeks ago. An encounter with Jesus, and he might not have uh, put his, be able to put his finger on the exact moment, or he might not be able to say that a cloud came in his room, or that God spoke to him in a deep and thundering voice, although that would be really cool, and it would make better movies. Uh, you know, it would, uh, uh, God encountered him and, and transformed him. Jesus encounters us, and when he encounters us, he encounters us not just to uh, make us feel good, although he does that often, and not just to comfort us, although that he, he does that often, but he, he encounters us with an agenda to, to transform us, to make us new, to see the world in a, in a different way. And, and that's what I really long for for all of us, because if we as a church did that and had that, wouldn't it be easier to change the world? Because we, we, we would be filled with, with faith. We would be filled with a sense of purpose. And that's what happened uh, to, to Zechariah about raising his son John. So I'm just going to read this text uh, for us from Luke chapter 1. And we're going to just uh, pick apart a few different things and just make some observations on it. We're just going to dig into the scriptures here together uh, this morning. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. The scripture puts a nice, delicate uh, touch on that. Uh, other versions say they were well advanced in years, which sounds much better, but this version just says they were very old. Like, I mean, they were like really old. Uh, <laughs> Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, 
so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. He's called an old man. At least he's calling himself an old man. And my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And that's the story. It's a longer text than we might normally read uh, uh, in one sitting. But I think in telling of the whole story, there's some uh, really beautiful things that we can sort of tease out of it. And remembering that this encounter comes after 400 years of silence and 400 years of just religious observance, of just religious people going about their day, going about their year to year to year to year. It says this, it says in verse 6, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's, Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Uh, in that culture, um, that would have been a very confusing thing. Uh, in a religious culture in, in that time, and, and again, that's not who we're trying to be as people, uh, the idea that someone could be righteous and observing all of the Lord's commands blamelessly and still not be blessed with a child would be a disconnect. It would be discordant. Somebody who is righteous and somebody who is observing the commands of the Lord in a religious culture, if you're doing it all right, if you're putting all of the right you know, monies in the gumball machine, then the gumball comes out, right? Right? Is that how it works? But we know life doesn't necessarily work like that, right? But uh, they, they were, uh, for some reason, and for some reason unknown to them, they, they believed they were disqualified. One, they were very old. Uh, this, so they've been trying to do this, uh, have a family thing for a long time. And, uh, and, and two, as people who are old, I mean, I mean, I'm counseling people to have families when they're young and when they actually like staying up late. <laughs> you know, like, like, I mean, you're 16, 17, yeah, have kids, like, go for it. I mean, no, it's not true, I don't counsel that, but, uh, but, but wouldn't it be nice to have your, I mean, I had my first child when I was 30, I'm, I'm, I'm already half done at that stage, right? Like, <laughs> like, and then the next child comes along five years later, like, like, I liked staying up late when I was in my 20s. I don't like staying up late when I was in my 30s. Uh, but, and these guys, I don't know how they were. We don't have an age for Zechariah, but they were probably in their 50s or 60s. Now, if you were God, and if you were going to choose a candidate to raise uh, the person who would be the forerunner of Christ, 
and you were just going through applicants, going through the applications, you know, because there's an application process for these things, uh, would, would you be choosing Zachariah and his wife? Like, no, they want to go to bed early. I wouldn't do that to them. Uh, they're, they're disqualified in some way, and they don't even know why. They've been righteous, but they haven't been able to have kids, so, so they don't know why, but God chooses them, and that's true of us. That's true of you. God chooses you even if you feel disqualified. Even if you feel like you're, one or two of us here are definitely look past their prime. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get, the, the fruit is going to start flying. Uh, you know, like, like even if you feel like you've been a sinner, even if you, you've got things not right in your life, it, it, you know what's gone on in your life, and you know why you say in your heart, God can't use me, God can't do this with me. Well, he can, and he will. God uses the disqualified, and to go on, just to tell a little bit of the story, a little bit more further down the line, verse 25 says this, this is the last verse we read, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me. This is Elizabeth talking. In the days when he looked with favor upon me to take my disgrace from among men, of course, disgrace in that culture and we don't we don't live like that now but god took this woman who was looked down on by by every man in her society and and he he picked her up and he he lifted her up he lifted her up and not only did she did she give birth in in her later age but she gave birth to a very important person he takes the humble and he lifts them up. And, and you are the humble, and he wants to lift you up and use you. All of the reasons why you think you're too small, why you think you're not important enough, why you think you've been disqualified, they're not reasons why God would not speak to you and encounter you. He loves you. He wants to encounter you. Uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Uh, having an encounter with God uh, is not something we can control. I mean, look at this, look at this scenario here. Uh, he was on duty. He was behaving in a dutiful way, doing the thing that he needed to do. Uh, very often we're called to that. We're called to just following, just do, being dutiful, just doing the thing God calls us to do on a, on a daily basis. He was chosen by lot. So pick a card, short straw, roll the dice. I mean, we know God's in control, right? But he was chosen by lot. And at the same time, after 400 years of doing this habit, year after year after year, day after day after day, and this is something that was chosen, like there were a lot of priests in that time, right? Just to do the, doing the research on it, there were, a, there were a lot of priests, and you might not in your lifetime get chosen to be the one who goes inside and lights the incense uh, in, that, in the uh, holy place. You might not be the guy who gets that chance, right? Uh, so this was still re really special for him. Uh, but uh, after 400 years of, of duty, there's still people outside praying all the time. 
with the expectation that somehow this is connecting them with God. Uh, so what I want to just say to you is that there, there is not uh, a predictable way to make the encounter with God happen. The factors are, are beyond our control, except that in this case, uh, it just took a dutiful, occasional step toward God, and God took a giant step toward him. And we do that. We take small steps toward God, and God takes massive steps toward us. My encounter with God that was a calling experience in my early or in my mid-teens uh, was like that. Just, I'm going to open my Bible and, and read it, and boom, God came in my room. Uh, Jeremy, going off to a conference last week to just get refreshed and learn some stuff, boom, God encountered Jeremy. I got a text from Jacob while he was in, uh, while we were in, in, in Cuba. Uh, I was reading my Bible, boom, God came in my room. I asked, asked Jake about that. I hope I wasn't supposed to not dish on him there. But encounters with God, a tiny step towards him, a tiny bit of expectation, and boom, the presence of God comes. Uh, it says, and, 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 this, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him and was standing to the right of the altar of incense. And what I see in this, just in this particular thing, uh, and I know those images are pretty far away and it's not really all that possible to to read the words on there, but what you're seeing is just the digital rendering of uh, Herod's temple. So the giant temple where um, Zechariah would have been serving in that time. So this great big, almost cubicle kind of building with a room in the center of it. So that sort of cut out to the golden room in the center is where uh, Zechariah was. And there were just three things in that room. There was a lampstand and a table with some bread and uh, the incense, uh, the, the little altar for burning incense. And uh, what I find really unique about this is that this was really the most likely place for God to encounter somebody to initiate the most unlikely process. Uh, God has a real sense of irony. Here's where God meets Zechariah for the first time, here in the holy place, in the midst of uh, a temple system. He meets a priest in the midst of a religious system to introduce the person John, who would introduce the person Jesus, who would destroy the religious system. Do you get it? Do you get how ironic it is? Right, remember what happened when Jesus uh, died? What we, what we see in the, in the account of the Gospels in this same Luke account of the Gospels is the veil of the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. Uh, when, when Jesus died so that we could have relationship with God uh, through him, that religious system ended. It ended. That, that veil that you see there, that, I don't know, it looks like it's plaid in this picture. I'm pretty sure the Scots didn't make that. Uh, but, uh, but that veil was torn in two, and that barrier between God and man disappeared. And all of a sudden, everyone could have an intimate, personal relationship uh, with God through Jesus Christ. And so it was into that place that God sent the angel Gabriel, almost to create a seed within it that was just was going to ultimately blow this thing right apart, <laughs> right? And what, where, what is the temple in the New Testament? It's Jesus himself, right? Jesus is, is the temple. That's how we connect with God, right? And so I just love the sense of, of humor in that. I love God's sense of irony. When he speaks to you, he's going to use what he's got. He's going to use who you are. But, but you're not going to be the same when that word enters your heart. It's going to change you like it changed the world in that spot. 
the word that's in you is not just a thing for you to cherish and a thing for you to enjoy. It's a thing that's going gonna, it's gonna to knock your life around a little bit. God's going to transform you. God's going to do something radical, just like he did speaking into Zechariah's life. Again, these are just some of many observations about the text. Uh, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. When God meets you, don't expect to, to not have an emotional reaction of some kind. Right? Uh, as, as people, we have so much fear, uh, especially as Canadians, we have so much fear of, of, a, of an emotional uh, reaction to maybe the scriptures that we're reading them or to worship. But, you know, you meet an angel and you're probably not going to good to meet you. So nice to meet you. Wow, I'm just so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. Right, he freaked out. And that word, uh, Zacharias was troubled. And it, the, uh, the Greek word there is, is really implies he was immediately churned up. It's like it took his insides, just went, stir him up. Churn him up, and it said fear gripped him, and that fear, uh, the word there really means a sense of dread and terror. Dread and terror. And I promise you, if I'm meeting an angel, I'm going to feel a little dread and terror, right? And that, but that terror, that fear, um, the, the way that, that word is used in, in the Greek really implies not just an immediate dread, like dread doesn't just apply, imply a feeling now, it, it implies a feeling about the future, doesn't it? Isn't that what dread is? Dread is a, a feeling about the future. And I think what Zechariah knew in this moment was that this encounter was going to change him, what we talked about just a few moments ago. That you, when you encounter God face to face, heart to heart, in your room, in your car, wherever you meet with God, you can expect. One, you can expect to feel it. It's going to have an impact on your life. Don't expect to hold it all together. And two, don't be afraid of the beginning of that process that's ultimately going to transform you. It's ultimately going to, to make you new. Uh, just going on to this word, and this is the heart of the word that the angel shared uh, with, uh, with uh, Zechariah. And he will drink no wine or liquor. Just, just a side note about this piece. Now, Jesus drank wine, right? We pretty, have, have pretty strong evidence about that. So we're not seeing in here uh, uh, anything on, uh, on the pros or cons uh, of alcohol. But what we do see here is that sometimes when the word of God comes to us, uh, the way we remember it and the way we walk it out, it's sometimes worth cherishing a word by changing a behavior in your life. And this is something that, that I've, I've done myself, that sometimes when I have, even for a short period of time, sometimes when I've had an encounter with God that's powerful, I'll just take a habit, something that I do regularly, and I'll, and I'll, just, I'll just destabilize that habit. I mean, I don't stop brushing my teeth or putting on deodorant, but <laughs> just something that's not going to affect people too much. I'll change something I'm eating or something like that. So that when I go to eat that thing, I go to eat that cookie, I remember, wait a minute, there was something important here. There's something of purpose here that I'm supposed to remember, and I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to remember the purpose. And I, and I don't do that for a lifetime like, uh, like uh, John did, but I think it's just really a wise thing to take some of those... Uh, uh, things in our lives and, and couple them to the word of God in our lives and, and use them as reminders to, to continually grow us. It says, this, it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
while yet in his mother's womb. And we saw this a little bit later. We're going to talk about this uh, in a week or so when we talk about Mary encountering John and John, the baby leaping in Mary's belly for joy when, when she encounters, uh, when, the, when uh, Elizabeth counters Mary, who's carrying Jesus at the same time. It's like they have a party through the womb. It's, it's kind of, I don't know how, I don't know how that works. Um, and he will turn the, the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God, and is getting into this deep purpose of this word. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This word for Zechariah, as powerful and as wonderful it was for he and Elizabeth to all of a sudden be thinking about having a child and and to be having a son and and all of that, uh, this word that came for him was obviously bigger than him. It spoke to God's purpose for a nation. It spoke to God's purpose for a community. And it's a whole sermon to just unpack this word itself. And I'm just not going to do that this time. Uh, but uh, but there's, there's big, big stuff there. Uh, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And thankfully the translators gave us a little mercy here. Uh, and my wife is really, really old. That's the one place where he doesn't say that when he's talking about his wife because he has some sort of wisdom there, I think. Um, uh, so he softens his language a little bit when he's talking about his wife. That's pretty smart. Uh, he knows his wife's going to read the Bible later, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> he says this, he says, um, God has way, I, I'm saying this, God has ways of dealing with our doubt though doesn't he? Right? Like, okay, like painting the picture, you're in the holy place, you're at the altar of incense, and just standing to the right of it is the angel Gabriel, right? I don't don't know what an angel looks like, but I'm pretty sure any descriptions we have in the scriptures, they're rather impressive persons. Um, And and he's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, do you, do you think it could really happen? Uh, you know, like, so he felt fear and trembling when the angel came, but not so much, <laughs> you know, as he could have, right? He, there was something in him that felt safe in that space. And this is what I'm getting to here. There's something about this space of holiness, this space of being in God's presence, this space of being where God's speaking something powerful to you, that that his personality wasn't completely overridden. That he was able to say to this angel, like, how can we be sure? Are you kidding me? He felt safe there, didn't he? To be able to express that doubt. Now that doesn't mean that God didn't know how to deal with it. Right? God knew how to deal with that doubt, and uh, and I'll, I mean, we, I, just for the sake of time, I'm, I'm sort of skipping over that part, but God basically struck him dumb for, for a while. <laughs> like, Jeremy described this in his sermon last week, like a sense of being completely under the lordship of Jesus, that God was in control, that God was powerful that God was able to, to deal with this. 
And, I, and I've had this experience before. I remember one time, um, and this is, I don't know, I, I think telling these stories is sometimes crazy. I don't know if I should even tell them, but uh, I remember being, um, it was right around, right in the renewal uh, time. It would have been in the, I guess, mid-90s. And I was speaking at a, at a church in Ottawa, and uh, I was asked to pray for people. And, and sometimes when you pray for people, you can have a sense of, of the prophetic, a sense of God really speaking to you clearly so that you know what to pray and you have words to share that are words going to really unpack people's lives and and man that night it was it was hot it was good like like I was so good I mean I was so off you know and that's how I came home talking to my wife I came home like telling Anna about like how how awesome I was like like how dumb is that right like like I was just so happy with how God had used me and so proud of myself and I'm Anna's already in bed. She's asleep. She doesn't care really all that much. Like, she's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, you think you're a man of faith and power. I think you're a man of paste and flour. Uh, it's like, you know, she, she, she knows who, who I am, right? But I'm telling her all about it. And, and literally in that moment, I felt God come in the room in this powerful way as, I, as I'm boasting. And it's like I could feel God's hand on the side of my head. And I'm lying on my side. I'm facing Anna. I could feel God's hand on the side of my head. And it's like I felt his hand slip through my skull and go to about here. I could not see out of this eye. I couldn't hear out of this ear. And I lie there, dumb and stunned, for about 20 minutes. Utterly humbled by the power of God. He took my faculties and he turned them off like a switch. And he spoke really clearly to me. He said, I love you. And he lifted his hand. And I didn't boast so much after that. God knows how to deal with our doubt. He knows how to deal with our pride. He knows how to deal with our messes. And he will deal with them and he'll walk forward on the journey with us. He walked with Zechariah. He ultimately healed him. He ultimately restored his voice and let him experience everything that he declared in that word, the joy and happiness of being used by God and by having this word uh, flow through him and by having the life of this son that he and his uh, wife Elizabeth were privileged to serve and see raised up. And then just this last little piece, and this is verse 23. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And in the end, you always have to go home from whatever encounter with God you've had and walk it out. And do the dishes, clean the sink, brush your teeth, put on your deodorant, and put your pants on one leg at a time. And this is what I want for us as a community to be people who are really and truly people of the presence of God, who are really and truly people who encounter uh, the relationship, the power of God, who know him, who, who know him in the day-to-day, -day, but who are open to a space where he can come in and change absolutely everything about you with a word. He's God. We don't believe just in this, though we believe in this. 
He speaks to us through this, and he has spoken to us through this. And he wants to walk with us as friends, as our Lord, as our Savior. And that is joy. And that is hope. And that is peace. And that's what this Christmas season is all about. So my prayer for you uh, this morning is surprise visits with an almighty, all-powerful, and very loving God. Let's stand together. There might be some of you here who have, uh, you know, never, never really experienced a, a personal relationship with God. Uh, you've been like Elizabeth and Zachariah, and you've been just sort of living a life of going through the religious motions, or, or maybe you've been just doing life and not uh, uh, really expecting that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. If, if that's you here this morning and you want to take a tiny step towards God and allow him to take a massive step towards you, I'm just going to say a prayer. And, and you can just pray with me in your hearts and, and uh, invite the Lord to come into your life. Uh, Lord, would you come into our lives? I've done things around you and thought thoughts about you and want to do life with you. I acknowledge that I need you to save me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I have all kinds of things wrong. But I believe you've made a way for me through the cross. Would you start me on this journey of knowing you more, of encountering you? 